Advent is beginning today, and it's a time where we prepare ourselves. We prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Jesus, his first coming, and also we look forward to his second coming. We, we prepare our hearts to celebrate that as well, to look forward to that, to long for that. And so for the next four weeks, we are going to, in order to help us do that, we're going to be going through the book of Zephaniah in the Old Testament. It's a, a small book written by the prophet Zephaniah, and he wrote during the 7th century B.C., uh, during the reign of King Josiah. If you know anything about King Josiah, he was a, a king who, who became king when he was just a boy, and um, he became king in Israel, in, in the southern kingdom of Israel and Judah, during a time where um, the people had really turned their back on God, um, and they were giving themselves to all sorts of other gods and idols, and, and a lot of it had to do with, with Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, who was one of the worst kings Judah had ever had. And, uh, and during Josiah's time, um, they found the book of law in, in the temple, and, and there was a, a sort of reform that happened um, in, the, in the kingdom of Judah. And, uh, and that's one of the things that Josiah is most notable for. Um, Zephaniah as you read the book, the contents of the book lead us to believe that, I think, lead, lead, lead me to believe that he probably wrote and prophesied before those reforms happened. And possibly God used Zephaniah's words to prepare the people of God to come back to him during those reforms. But one of the, one of the, the themes of the book of Zephaniah is the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord. This day of God's judgment, this day of God's wrath that he was warning the people about because they'd been stubbornly refusing to, to love God and, and love others and, and listen to him. And, uh, and so he was, he was promising that, that his judgment was coming, his wrath was coming upon them. Um, and, uh, and this day of the Lord for them was this day that another nation was going to come in and conquer them. But I think it also absolutely applies to the coming day of the Lord when Jesus returns. And we will face God's judgment as well. Um, so listen to God's word. I'm going to read from Zephaniah 1, verses 14 to 18. It's a sample of the first chapter. The first chapter is it's, it's more of the same, really. It's a lot about God's judgment coming. So listen to God's word as I read. You can follow along in your, in your order of worship. It's printed there, or if you have a Bible, you can follow along there. Listen to God's word. The great day of the Lord is near. Near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to receive these words this morning. We pray that your spirit would work to use your truth to soften our hearts, to make the soil of our hearts soft and ready for the work 
of the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Silver and gold, silver and gold. Everybody wishes for silver and gold. Do you guys recognize that song? You know what it's from? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Very good. If you didn't recognize it, maybe it would have helped if I was like a snowman singing it, right? <laughs> um, but that, that song is, uh, is, is sung in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and, it, and it's sung after a character is introduced in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You know the character is? It's Yukon Cornelius. He always really threw me off. I, you know, when I'm watching Rudolph at the North Pole, and then all of a sudden there's this guy, Yukon Cornelius, who's this prospector who, with his pickaxe, and he's just looking for silver and gold, Right? Or at least it seems like that's what, all, all that he cares about. He's just obsessed with finding some silver and gold. And, uh, and that's, that's all he cares about. Um, in, in verse 18, Zephaniah mentions silver and gold, right? He says, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. Um, I think he, he mentions these things because he knows that these shiny resources, silver and gold, these shiny things, very likely might be on the minds of the people as they face coming catastrophe and disaster. Um, and I think that this gives us some insight into our own relationship with shiny things, with silver and gold, um, with our own uh, relationship to God's judgment, and also with the importance of Christmas, believe it or not. So um, that's what I want to talk about this morning. First of all, one thing this passage points us to, and especially that, that verse, it points us to the fact that all of us, not just the Israelites, we all tend to hope that shiny things will deliver us from our misery. We all tend to hope that shiny things will deliver us from our misery. After Zephaniah pronounces God's judgment, he says in verse 18, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. And the very fact that he makes this statement reveals what the people are likely to turn to first as they think about, as as Zephaniah pronounces this judgment that is coming upon them, um, this disaster that is heading toward them, he realizes that that their, their temptation, their tendency might be to think, well, if I can just gather enough resources and enough wealth, enough silver and gold, then I might be able to save myself. I might be able to use those resources, use that wealth to fortify my defenses or maybe to pay off another nation to come and save us, maybe to pay some mercenaries to come and save us from the coming disaster. Um, If we can gather enough resources, if we can gather enough wealth, we can take care of ourselves. We can deliver ourselves from the misery that is likely to come. And this isn't just an Israelite tendency, this is a, a human tendency all throughout history. This is absolutely true of each and every one of us. When it comes to our problems and our struggles, when it comes to our misery, we have this tendency to think that we can deliver ourselves from our problems with stuff that is shiny, if we have enough. Uh, You know, silver and gold, one of the obvious things that that represents is money, right? Many of us think that if we have enough money, we will be okay that we have enough money, it will solve our problems. It will, it will keep us from like, having worse problems. You know, when we have bills to pay and unexpected expenses, if we have enough money, we will be okay. We don't have to stress. As we think about the future, one of the things that, that many of us are, are primarily thinking about is, are we gonna have enough money? 
are we gonna have enough silver and gold to take care of us in the future? Especially with the prices rising as they are, right? Am I gonna have enough silver and gold? Am I gonna have enough money to deliver myself in the future from what might happen to me, from what might happen to us? We tend to think if we have enough, we won't have to stress, we won't be anxious. But I think that it's not just about having enough so that we can, you know, deal with all the unexpected things that happen. I think we also look to shiny things to um, help us deal with the pain of life. You know, when we experience discouragement and we experience heartbreak and we experience loss, when we experience loneliness, we often turn to all sorts of things to numb that pain to medicate ourselves in a sense. And one of the things I think we absolutely turn to is, is shiny things. You know, whether it's new, uh, new technology or maybe new clothes or new jewelry or a new toy. As we think about the Christmas season, I mean, that's what it's all, you know, what, what all, a lot of it becomes about is like getting stuff for people that we hope will make their lives a little more enjoyable. Um, we just had Black Friday where people were rushing around, right? Because silver and gold, that's what's going to solve our problems. If I can just get that 83-inch TV screen, <laughs> life will be better. I'll have a little bit more joy. You know, we all experience it. If, when, when we get new shiny things, it, 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 you know, kind of gives us a little bit of a lift. Even, I've, I've mentioned before, I think, you know, when, when you order something from Amazon, just seeing that, that shiny brown box on the doorstep feels good, doesn't it? When you get something new, no matter how, you know, simple it is, it's always fun to open the box. It gives us a little lift. We, we numb ourselves and we medicate ourselves, the, the, the pain of life, the struggle of life with new and shiny things, right? Um, we, we do it by, by achievements, by trying to, to win shiny trophies for ourselves or for our kids. We just had our, our kids uh, closing ceremonies for soccer season. And you know it, everybody gets a trophy, right? Everybody gets a trophy. Maybe it'll soften the, uh, the blow from going 0-18 this season. <laughs> as long as I get my trophy, I'll feel a little bit better about myself, right? Um, or maybe that new shiny nameplate with a new title at work, a promotion, will make us feel a little bit better. We, we, we strive for all of these new shiny things that we think will help us, that will deliver us from the misery of life because life is hard and life is painful. It really is. And we look to these things, to these shiny things, to help us, to cope, to deliver us from these things, to help us to feel better, more happy, more content. Kim and I have I've seen a clear example of this as we've done foster care for many, many years. And, and uh, one of the things at this time of year that happens all the time, and let me say, first of all, I am thankful for those of, those of you in our church family who, who have loved our kids and given them gifts and things like that. But we get all sorts of like strangers and organizations contacting us being like, okay, what do your kids want? What do your kids want? Because they know these kids in foster care, they've been through trauma. They've experienced misery. And it seems like the answer that everybody comes up with, the only answer they can think of to make the kids feel a little bit better is to give them more, to give them more, to give them more shiny things. That's what we think will deliver us. 
That's what we think will deliver us. Um, well, we think that silver and gold will deliver us, but the, the problem is, and he says it right here, it won't. It won't. He says, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. See, the problem is the source of our misery is way bigger than anything that silver and gold can, can solve. Way bigger. Way bigger. These verses are just a sample, but, but Zephaniah paints a really, really dark picture, doesn't he? The great day of the Lord is near, in verse 14, near and hastening fast. It's coming. It's coming like a freight train. We can't stop it. It's coming. It's hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. It, it, it attacks all of our senses. It's bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there, no matter how strong you are, no matter how much you have, you are helpless. Even the strongest and most notable person we can think of cries aloud at the day of the Lord. That's how terrifying it is. That's how big it is. It's a day of wrath, verse 15, a day of distress, a day of anguish, a day of ruin and devastation. He just piles up all of these descriptors of the day of the Lord day of darkness, a day of gloom, of thick darkness, right? People are going to be walking like the blind. He's plunging us all into darkness. The problem is the day of the Lord, the, the day of God's judgment is coming. His wrath is coming, and we cannot stop it. And the source of it all, for the people of Israel, he says it. Right? In verse 17. It's because they have sinned against the Lord. They have sinned against the Lord. The people of Israel have turned their backs. They have been worshiping all sorts of other gods. All sorts of other idols. They've been living their lives as if God doesn't matter. They've been focused on themselves, telling God, you don't, you don't have the right to tell us how to live. And see, the thing is, again, that's not just an Israelite problem. That's a people problem. Every single person in here has sinned against the Lord. Every single one of us. Every single one of us have lived our lives with this, this tendency to turn inward upon ourselves, to be self-centered, to be self-absorbed, to say to everyone around us, including God, you don't have a right to tell me how to live. I'm going to decide for myself. I'm going to decide for myself how I'm going to live and what is right and what is best. I'm not going to listen to you, God. Leave me alone. And so this dark picture of judgment is just as real for us as it was for the Israelites in the 7th century B.C. And my, my point is this. I was talking about how we, we tend to look to shiny things to deliver us from our misery. And, and I was talking about our misery is our experience of misery in this life, of, of loss, of people that we love who are sick, of relationships that are strained and broken, of feeling incredibly isolated and alone, of, of having dreams that that are shattered, having, having a living a life that, that is far from what you'd want it to be. That's the misery that we all experience on a daily basis. But the thing is, this misery that we experience is just a small taste of what we all deserve on the day of the Lord. It's a small taste of it. In fact, all of the misery that we experience on a daily basis, it, it all stems from 
the fact that we have broken this world because of our sin. It all stems from sin. The misery that we experience on a daily basis stems from sin and also the anger, the wrath of God is what we, experience, is what we deserve for our sin, what we are facing because of our sin. And so this bleak picture that Zephaniah paints here for the people in the 7th century BC is absolutely relevant to each and every one of us. This is what we are facing. Now, you all might be feeling a little cheated right now. I came, I thought this was the first Sunday of Advent. I came to church to start getting the feels, right? The wreaths hung up, the, the, the ornaments, the trees, the Advent wreath, come on. Can't we just, you know, focus on the joy of Christmas and feel good? And then I'm hitting you with maybe one of the least Christmassy verses I could, I could think of. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. That doesn't sound like much of a Christmassy verse, right? But this is the thing. Um, this is exactly where we have to start if we want to celebrate what Christmas really is about. We have to start with what we all are facing apart from, apart from what Jesus has done in entering our world. We have to start here or we can't appreciate who Jesus is and what he's done. We have to start with the darkness. And that's what, one of the things that jumps out to me as I read these verses, um, there, there's a lot of darkness here, right? He, he mentions darkness twice in verse 15. It's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Again, in verse 17, I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind. We will be plunged in darkness. That is what we deserve for our sin. That is what God promises those who have sinned against him and aren't looking to him to solve it darkness. We need to understand the darkness in order to appreciate the light that he offers. And that's what Christmas is about. It's about the light that he gives to us in the person of Jesus Christ. There's, there's nothing scarier than darkness. I know that I, I, at least one of our kids, our older kids, is scarred for life probably because I, I remember them rehearsing the story often where they were in the basement and one of the other boys came upstairs and turned the light off, right? There's nothing worse for a child than to be plunged into the darkness. It's awful. It's awful. And that is what we are facing. That is what we have earned because of our sin. And so the solution to our misery, the solution to the misery of our darkness is not what is shiny, but it's what shines. That is what the solution is. As we think about darkness, the, the only solution to, to the darkness of, of living life in, in, with all of the misery that it contains and, and, and the, the darkness of what we face of, God and of God's wrath is the shining light that God gives and offers us. There's this, uh, this great scene in the third Harry Potter movie. I don't know how many of you guys have seen the Harry Potter movies or read the books, but in the, the, the third Harry Potter movie, it's The Prisoner of Azkaban. And if you're familiar with the story, familiar with the Harry Potter world, you know there's these there's characters called Dementors. And these Dementors are these beings that they're, they're like all cloaked in, in black robes and you can't see their, their faces. It's all in shadow and, and they just kind of float around. And, and the thing about Dementors is that they feed on despair and hopelessness 
and ultimately they feed on people's souls. And when they come around, all light disappears from street lights up to the stars in the sky. And there's this moment in the, in the, in the prisoner of Azkaban where Harry has, uh, he's, he's finds himself in a forest at the edge of a lake and he's with his godfather, Sirius Black, and his, his, his Sirius has been injured and he's lying on the ground and Harry is, is hunched over him wondering what they're going to do. And it's at that moment that all of these Dementors show up. There's hundreds of them just circling them in the sky and they start to come down and, and fly around them and, and kind of dive bomb them and get close to them. And as, every time they get closer, you know, it just gets darker and darker and they're like just kind of sucking the life out of both of them. And as it gets darker and darker, Harry looks up in his hopelessness and, and he sees a light across the lake on the other side of the lake. And as he looks closer, he sees that it's a, there's this, this bright stag that is standing there. It's a light, a stag made of light. And these, these dementors are closing in more and more, just swarming them. And the darkness is getting darker and darker. And then all of a sudden, there's this pulse of light that emanates out from that stag across the lake. And it slams into the dementors and starts like beating them back. And, and then another pulse of light gets brighter and brighter and shines and just blows them all away. They just get blown away, completely powerless in the face of this light that overcomes all of the darkness. And in one sense, this is an illustration of Christmas. This is an illustration of Christmas. Jesus enters our world, a bright light shining to beat back the darkness, the darkness of, of all that has happened because of sin, the, the world that has been broken because of sin, and particularly the judgment of God. Jesus enters our world as light itself. And when he dies on the cross, he, 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 there, there's this, this pulse of light that emanates out that just blows away all of God's judgment for our sin. There's all sorts of prophecies in the Old Testament, these references to light and darkness in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, a passage that we often read at Christmas that talks about how people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So Isaiah 42 says, I will turn their darkness into light. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The Lord will be your everlasting light. And then we come to the New Testament. We come to the book of John. And what does John say about who Jesus is, right? In John 1, he says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light of the world. Christmas is a celebration of the light coming into the world to dispel the darkness. The darkness of our individual hearts the darkness that we face because of our sin. A little town of Bethlehem gives the answer to Zephaniah 1 perfectly. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And then Luke 2, as the shepherds stand in the darkness watching over their sheep, the angel of the Lord appeared, and it says what? The glory of the Lord shone around them. 
this light pulsing out from the angels as they proclaim, do not be afraid, for I have good news of great joy for all the people. This Christmas, I urge us to fix our eyes on the brightness of Jesus. When we are tempted to be distracted by the things that are shiny, by shopping for the things that are shiny, for, by hoping in the things that are shiny, let's fix our eyes on the brightness of Jesus. He is the only one who dispels the darkness, who has the power to change us, and who truly gives us the joy that we long for, who can truly deliver.